Congregation is considered tonight, the Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism on page 38. Questions and answers 27 and 28. What does thou mean by the providence of God? Answer. The Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come. Not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. 28. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things? And so that we may be patient in adversity thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move so far. The advantage of God's providence. You see that advantage in the question, what advantage is it in question 28? That's the theme tonight. The advantage of God's providence. And with the help of the Lord, you like to speak on three points. Providence, makes patient. At least that is the purpose of it. Secondly, providence makes thankful. Hopefully. And in the third place, providence makes confident. Especially for the future. The advantage of God's providence, the providence makes patient. The providence makes thankful. And the providence makes confident. Congregation Lord's Day 10 has two questions and answers. And the content of question 27 is very close to last Sunday's Lord's Day, Lord's Day 9. There's quite a bit of overlap and repeat. However, I like to summarize the main things about the providence of God. Sort of things we talked about already, and a few more new things from Lord's Day 10. God is everywhere present. With his almighty hand, he's omnipresent. Do you feel that? Do you believe that? You cannot escape him. You cannot go to a place that God is absent on vacation, on an island, in Hawaii, wherever. He's everywhere. You cannot miss him. 
We move in him. We live in him. He is Jehovah. And everything is in his hands. He is the power. He is the almighty God. Nothing escapes him. With his hands he keeps the galaxies spiraling. And the planets orbiting. And the electrons moving. And life continuing. He is there. He is present. He is involved in everything. So we cannot do anything about his counsel. We are totally and totally dependent upon his mighty hand. When the Lord decides to do something, he will. No matter what we think. For example, he decides when to rain. How much? And how long? And where? He makes sick. He heals. He takes away from this life. He spares people. So it's all in his hands, and therefore we pray to him. If there is no providence, if the Lord could not help it, if the Lord would be a bystander, we could not approach him to help us. But he is the God who can change things. All things in his fatherly hand. That's why we pray to him. Suppose God would say something. Sometimes. I have done everything about it. I did all I could. I can't help you. Well, the Lord will never say that. Never. Is there anything impossible with him? So God's providence is often divided in three parts. Remember them? Also, catechism students, the preservation, the cooperation, and the government. So everything that exists, a pew, a glass of water, a pulpit, everything that exists is also preserved, upheld, so it keeps existing until the Lord changes it and it begins to rot or to wear it and tear. But also cooperation in our actions and movements in the universe and on earth. Nobody can move a finger without his will. So providence is not only that God keeps things in his hands and, and, and upholds them, also this cooperation. And also government, the Lord is doing all things for a purpose. He has a goal with everything. So God is involved in all things. The providence, by the way, is not in the Bible. Well, close. But the more, but more is not in the Bible, right? Like Trinity is not in the Bible either. And yet they believe in God's providence. And I think also in the English language, it makes sense to use the word providence. Provision, right? To make provision. Provision. So the Lord sees to it. Is it English to see to it? Yes, it is. So the Lord doesn't only see things, 
he sees two things. And that is exactly the way providence, not only that God sees things, observes things, but he sees two things, that things also will happen. And that would see in Hebrew was quoted this morning, if you remember. Like Isaac, right? He was asking where the lamb was, and they went up the hill. And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together to provide. The Lord, God, will provide himself, will see to it. God is everywhere. And this world is a God-centered world. In spite of the enmity, the world and the universe exists for God. And God will be glorified in it. So God is not an observer. He sees two things. Let us now also turn to a few reformed creeds and see what our forefathers have said about the providence of God. I'd like to quote the piece of the Westminster Larger Catechism, the Westminster Confession, and the Belgian Confession. And maybe you can listen for something new, something we did not talk about yet. So the Westminster Larger Catechism. What are works of providence? Answer. God's works, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. Is that not? So God is involved in all things. It's all to his glory. God is glorified when we acknowledge that there is nothing we can do without him. Or the Westminster Confession of Faith. God, the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his unfailable foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Some more detailed, a little longer. And also mentioning that it is the free and immutable counsel of God's will. His free counsel, God did not ask us for permission and advice. It was his free will to do what had to be done. And it is immutable. You cannot change it. The Belgian Confession, Article 13 we believe that this great God, after creating all things, did not abandon them 
to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will in such a way that nothing happens in his world without God's orderly arrangement. So God did not abandon this world, but he stays with it. He is not only the transcendent God, he is the imminent God. He is here and did not abandon. So why is this all so important? That is typically the question of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your comfort? What is your advantage? And also today, what advantage is it to us to know? God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things. Our second thought. Providence makes patient. Never thought about it. That patience in the hospital, that they're patient, it is similar as being patient. Ever thought about it? So patients in the hospital are supposed to be patient. And they need to also give things over in the hands of the doctors and of the Lord. And they need to suffer silently and willingly. And not getting too upset to be patient. Patient, according to the English word book, means able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. So someone in the hospital being a patient, if the person is able to accept the suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious, that is patient in this case. And the synonyms are forbearing or uncomplaining or tolerant or long-suffering or resigned. I don't think I will add the word stoical here. Stoical is kind of cold-hearted. But yes, it is uncomplaining. Patients are supposed to be uncomplaining. That's what the word patient is about. Patience is a big word in the Bible. Often called and translated as long-suffering or slow to anger. Especially God is patient and composed and goes his own pace according to his own will. Patience is the mood of waiting, patiently waiting upon the Lord, not being upset and angry, but humble, and letting God reign. When we are patient, we give our lives over and lay everything in his hands. We wait and trust we are not panicky, not fearful, unnerved, anxious, Frightened, but stay calm as a child on mother's lap. 
I found Psalm 131. Three verses in the psalm. That is really a psalm about patience. So let me read those three verses. A song of the degrees of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned off his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Know that baby that is fed on mother's lap, so content, so trusting in mom, no concerns, so we are supposed to believe in God's providence, to completely rely on the Lord for salvation and for his help in daily life. What I also found really interesting and instructive is what happened in Ziklag. Ziklag? What is that? Before David became king, he had a gathering of people around him. And they also were in the cave of Adullam, remember? And one day they came back to their hometown, Ziklag, and the town was burned. And their wives and the children were gone. It came to pass... When David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it in fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burnt in fire. The wives and the sons and the daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. Imagine, the wives, children. Then David and all the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. To cry and cry until they had no tears left anymore. And David and David's two wives were also taken Ahinoam, the Israelite, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Camelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. So David is trembling and so distressed. This is the end. My own people turned against me. Because the soul of all the people grieved every man for his own son and daughter. And then the expression. But David 
encouraged himself in the Lord is God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So he was talking to himself. He said, David, what did he say? What do you think? David was counseling himself like he did before in Psalm 42 and 43, right? Why art thou so disquieted in me, my soul? Hope thou in God. I shall yet praise him for the health of my countenance. He spoke to himself. He encouraged himself. And so, so he even, the wives and the children are gone, and the people are about to stone him. He encouraged himself. He strengthened himself. And he said to himself things like, David, the Lord reigns. You don't. David, the Lord does not make any mistakes. You do. He doesn't. David, God, can turn anything around to your advantage. David, the Lord has promised you the throne. David, with the Lord, you can go through the valley of death. David, your death will be gain. Whatever happens. So he was talking to himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. But you can only do that if that God is your God, right? If that God is the God you know about and you trust him and you have confessed your sins to him. So David was submissive and is close to being patient. So I don't know what you have to go through right now. Can you be patient? Should you talk to yourself? The Lord is making the decision. It's going to happen his time. His time. His way. For his sake. Don't get too upset and too worried about things. The Lord reigneth. Think of Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. She's so submissive, right? She's so patient. The angel told her that she'll be pregnant of a holy child. And she said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. Could you say that? In your situation? Could you say, Lord, be it unto me according to thy will. Or think that she's more impressive of the Lord Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, suffering, tremendous suffering, pain, and discomfort, and feeling abandoned by his disciples and by his father. And he went a little further 
and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Could you say it for yourself? Could you repeat it for yourself in your situation? You say, Lord, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You need grace for that, don't you? The Apostle Peter believed in God's providence as well. And it sounds like a command. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Surrender. Submit. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time, his time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's beautiful, right? But yet, every word is important. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Every word is important. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your care, all your care, all your care, everything upon him, for he cared for you. That's a blessing. There's also a piece in Titus for elderly men. A piece in the Bible for men and fathers and servants, and there's also a piece about elderly men. Titus 2. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. In patience, it's a virtue. For elderly men as well, to be patient and not be hardy and self-willed and stubborn and opinionated, but also being patient. And the Apostle Paul wrote also about patience of the persecuted church to Thessalonica 1. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. They were enduring, suffering, persecutions and tribulations. And it was supposed I'm so happy to hear. I praise God for it that you are so patient for your patience and faith in all your persecutions, so they follow the Lamb wherever he gone. Well, think of Abraham as an example of patience, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, had waited so long, 
The Lord had promised his seed that he was not anxious, not upset, not annoyed. He waited patiently and obtained the promise later. What what to think about Job, what he all, all encountered. Job. Behold, the count and happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. See? Of tender mercy. Are you impatient, angry, discontent? Humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God brings to the second part. Providence makes thankful. Congregation, you know what the predestination is about. Predestination is the providence regarding the salvation of souls. So the providence is much wider. But in there is also God's election and God's predestination. And you may remember what the predestination is for, what the purpose is. It says in Ephesians 1, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Therein he has made us accepted in the beloved. So God's election has, has, has his purpose that God's grace is glorified. But it's not only predestination, also providence is there to God's glory. Therefore, a few verses later, in verse 11, Ephesians 1, verse 11, we read, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Who worketh all things. It's in the context of God's glory. The context of God's praise. To the praise of the glory of his grace. So the Lord has, is, is detailing everything. is very precise in Governing us in our lives. And the Lord desires the honor for that. He wants to be acknowledged for that. Because not only, he does not only give us our crosses. We need to surrender to. He also gives us so many blessings. That's unreal. The amount of blessing received is huge. And the Lord wants us to know that and to realize that all those blessings come from him. And he needs, he wants to be thanked for that. So there's a link between God's providence and thankfulness. If you don't believe in God's providence, or if that's not alive to you, if it is meaningless, you don't give thanks. And if you really give thanks, then you realize all the blessings come from God. The Lord reigns. <clears throat> so let me 
quote a few verses from the Bible explaining how important thankfulness is. And that is something we need to emphasize tonight. Because we pray a lot. We ask a lot. We beg about anything. We plead it all. I want this and I want that and I want more. We need help. But how often do you give thanks? And do you praise the Lord? How often do you realize and count your blessings and render him thanks? And it is so often in the Bible mentioned. 1 Thessalonians 5. In everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So concerning you, this is the will of God that you give thanks in everything. Don't miss things. Everything. That is our thankfulness. Ephesians 5. Giving thanks Always, for all things, unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See that always, for everything, that is the providence of God in the background. Philippians. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So, that's the combination of prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Colossians 3 and Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him, through Christ. Are we forgetting this, please? Do I? Do you? Maybe you can reflect on that yourself and just wonder yourself, how much do I obey this? Do I give thanks? You say we can't. I know. You cannot pray either. Can you? You just pray. Well, you cannot. You, you just pray. Even if you don't mean it, you pray. And so, so the Lord says, give thanks unto me. Always, in all things, for everything. Hebrews 13. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. It should just constant. Not, not stopping, but pray without ceasing and give thanks continually. Because God takes care of things. And he wants us to know that. He wants that to be confessed. See how deep he fell in Adam? 
I've known even better than that. They were aware of that. They were conscious of it. Everything, all the blessings were from God. And they naturally praised the Lord for that. And they felt so deep that they just are so empty of the glory of God. And that they miss it and just don't see it and are blind to it and are callous about it. So they need to be humbled. Proud people don't need grace. And proud people don't need help. And proud people don't give thanks. So you need to be humbled by the almighty hand of God to feel it. That how, how vulnerable we are. And how good the Lord is. And it's for those sins he still maintains us in order to give thanks. Make a list of things. Young people, children, make a list of things. Tonight, tomorrow, of all the things you should thank the Lord for. Your bed, your room, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your, your school, your, 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 your toys, your health, so your Bible. I'll receive from the Lord. So why don't you make work of that and begin to also thank the Lord? Nobody is thanking the Lord as she should. It should be so much more intense. It should be so much more heartfelt. And every day, all day long, Continuously. But as you know, there is the Lord Jesus in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and He gives thanks continually. And through Him, there is still a perfect thanksgiving for the Father. So we need to also give thanks to God in Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. I will praise the name of God with song and with, will magnify him with thanksgiving. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. So why don't you use a concordance, the thick book of strong or different ways, and you look at the thanksgiving, and you just make a list of those texts and see what they all say about thanksgiving. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden. And the desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found in thanksgiving in the voice of melody. So this praising is for God's glory. But it only is to God's glory if you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy thanksgiving, then your thanksgiving is worthless. With joy in there. 
happiness. Because if there's no happiness in there, then it is duty. Then you give thanks because you are supposed to. Like a young friend who is told by his parents, you have to say thank you to Oma. Because she gave you the present. Say thank you. And he, okay. Thank you, Oma. Is that how we give thanks to the Lord? Because we are supposed to. Or is it something really deeply appreciated? And giving thanks unto him. So that's why thanksgiving and rejoicing is often combined in the Bible, in the Psalms. You could also look up in the Concordance of rejoicing. You find texts like Psalm 9. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praises to thy name, O thou most high. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. See, gladness in God because of his goodness and his providence. Brings to the last thought. A congregation, did you see the word hereafter? That we may be patient in adversity now here. Thankful in prosperity the time we live in now, the presence, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, to be confident for the future. So providence is not only submitting to suffering and being aware of God's gifts and giving thanks, it is also confident for the future. Because all things are in his hands. I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than the raiment? It's about the future. Or you have little faith. Therefore, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Where without shall be clothed? For after the, all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all those, these things. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient in, unto the day is the evil thereof. Becoming so busy about the future. So worried, so anxious. What within five years, ten years, what will our life look like? What are we supposed to do? And maybe it's overwhelming. You see mountains and lions ever. Well, let me warn you to begin with. You know about the parable of the sower, right? Or rather the parable of the seed falling in stony places and among the thorns and on the road and in well-prepared soil. Let's talk about the seed that falls in the thorns. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. What does it mean? Well, the explanation is in verse 22. 
He also, though he sees seed among the thorns, is seed that he wrote the word for the blessing and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and he becometh unfruitful. So I focus on the care of this world, the anxiety, the fear, the concerns for the future can stand in the way. To hear the word, you're so busy preparing for the future. And the Lord has said in 1 Peter 5, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We don't know what this ye will bring. But may the Lord also make us confident and make us trusting him. Which may he ask we follow as we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father that nothing shall separate us from his love. Since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. And also father of King Cyrus and of Ezra. King Cyrus from Persia had conquered Assyria. And many Israelites had been in captivity, right, in Babylon. And now King Cyrus gave permission for them to go back to Israel. And Ezra, in Ezra 8, was one of the leaders of bringing a part of the people back to Israel. He had been targeted the king, pleading with the king, and let me show you a piece of that. Ezra had asked the king if he could go back, and he did not ask for a soldier. They had so much silver and gold and precious stones with them. It was really dangerous. With so much valuables to travel without protecting soldiers. So why did Ezra say, no, I don't need soldiers? But what a trust in the Lord. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Because he had spoken to the king, saying the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So Ezra, with all the gold and silver, they went confidently into the future. They did not know what was going to happen. If it would have been attacked, we will be attacked or not. But they went without soldiers, trusting in the Lord. Amazing that his faith, he could lay the future in God's hands. He, of course, could have said yes to the king. He could have asked for soldiers. Nothing wrong about that. Just makes sense. Common sense, but he said no. 
because he wants to show the king that the Lord Almighty can help also without soldiers. So I, do, I probably, I guess you now think also about vaccinations, right? Future and getting sick and so brave for me that I say things right now. Some say in godly fear, depending upon the Lord, in tender fear of God, with true faith in heart, they say, I can't use the vaccine. I trust in the Lord. I don't need that. I would be ashamed to tell my children I took the vaccine. I just can't do that. I really appreciate it, don't you? If people have that faith, if they, for God's glory, cannot do anything else, oh, don't ridicule them. Don't put them down. Don't be harsh on them. But having said that, Nehemiah, a few years earlier, went also to the promised land with a huge group of people. And he had no problem with it. So he took soldiers along. Nehemiah too. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. So in very, very close, similar situation. The one says, no, I trust in the Lord. We can do it without. And the other says, yes, we do. So now there are four options and combinations, if I'm right. So some refuse vaccination and deeply trust in the Lord. Others accept vaccination as a means granted by their Father in heaven. They see it as a gift of God. And they, want, they don't say no to the Lord. They would like to appreciate God's gift. And in the third place, some refuse vaccination I said some, and I don't insert anyone. Some refuse vaccination out of fear and not trusting in the Lord. There's no trusting. It's the fear. I don't dare to vaccinate. I'm just dead, frightened. I, I can't do that. I think the Lord will just punish me. I will just drop dead. Fear. That is not a good motivation. And all this accept vaccination and trust the vaccination. And that, that in, in an ungodly way. Where is that God? So the key word here is pride. The pride of I am vaccinated. The pride, pride of I am. 
But they need to just turn things down and just give each other the room, like the Bible does. And focus on this. Is there the tender fear of God? Using the means, yes or no? The tender fear of the Lord, to trust in Him. That's the key issue. One of my friends is under in doctor's care and he uh, wrote me uh, a piece this this week and he said, you know, I am already having tests for a long time and soon I will, the outcome will, will be there. But he had come from, come from this text, Galatians 2, verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who will love me and gave himself for me. So I don't know what this life will be like. If he will live long yet, I don't know, I'm, I'm concerned. But he said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what he should look after. That is the key issue. To know the Lord. That nothing shall separate us from the love of God and of Christ. Let's close with a, a few exhortations. You know what exhortations are, right? You have teaching and exhortations in a sermon. So here are a few exhortations. And there's some overlap with the beginning. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Do that. Or Matthew 6. Therefore, take no thought. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whether all shall be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Also consider the future after death. What will that be? Romans 8. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's something infinitely more beautiful coming for God's people. So they 
suffering and they have difficulties here below. But it'll all come to an end. And then there'll be eternal bliss. And then enter into the joy of the Lord. And in heaven, they don't need patience anymore. Because there's no suffering. And in heaven, they begin to realize it in a very special way how, how blessed the Lord has, how, how many blessings the Lord has given them in the past. And they are eternally given thanks. And they will rejoice in Him, right? Rejoicing in thanksgiving. And in heaven, they don't need to be concerned about the future. It's all in the hands of the Lord. So what do you believe of the providence of God? And what is the advantage for you? Does it make you patient in adversity? Does it make thankful in prosperity? And do you set your firm trust in Him for the future? Amen.